Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. This week is something of a special edition. I want to talk about this podcast, the Inner Circle podcast, and what goes on behind the scenes, mostly because I've had a lot of questions, and the questions have varied, asked me about a lot of different aspects, so... Let me tell you about all of them. I hope I don't get too boring, but I'm going to go into a lot of detail that you normally don't hear about. And once again, it might get a little nerdy, but let's hope this all works. Okay, so how did the Inner Circle podcast come about? Well, by accident, strictly by accident. I am a member of a panel podcast. It's the oldest audio podcast that's available, I think. It's called the Audio Nowcast going on for 11 or 12 years and I came in somewhere around episode number 72 and it's episode 190 or something now but anyway a listener Steve Cherubino got in touch with me and said you know you should have your own podcast and I got back to him and said well good idea but I just don't have the time and he said look I will do all the dirty work for you you just do the interviews or whatever it is that you want to do, and I'll put it together for you. This is what I do. I help people do these things. So with that, the Inner Circle podcast was born, and we went on like this for, I don't know, 90-some episodes, where Steve got really busy at that point and said, okay, I don't think I could do what I've been doing. And basically what I would do is do all the audio. He would put it together, the mixing, post-production, and then post it. But let me just say that Thank you very much, Steve, because if it wasn't for you, there wouldn't be an Inner Circle podcast. So once again, my heart goes out to you. Thanks so much. But at that point, I took it over and began to do all of the audio as well and all the posting and all that stuff. But let me first say that one of the things about the Inner Circle podcast is there's no sponsors, there's no advertising. It's just like my blogs. I get offered sponsorships all the time, but I don't accept them. This is one of these things where it's kind of for branding only. It's my brand, but I wanted to make sure this is a pretty pure experience for all the listeners. I wanted to make sure that what would happen is you would hear it. There would be no interruptions for the most part, and there wouldn't be any interruptions with an advert that didn't seem to fit. So the best way was to just keep it pretty much just you and I. You're listening to it, and I'm bringing it to you. As far as the way it kind of got put together, since I have two blogs and one that's on the music industry and one that's on the music production business, I thought I would incorporate some of that. So now there's two new segments. There's a segment all about the music business, social media, how that plays into it. And also there's another one just on music in general. And that could be music, it could be playing, performance, mixing in the studio, whatever. So where does the news come from? Well, mostly from a series of articles that I collect, and I'm constantly collecting them. They come as a result of Google alerts, but also from a wide variety of newsletters that I get. And I'm always looking at different articles, and I'm always looking to what might be interesting somewhere down the road. Now, I would say only one out of 10 of those articles that I collect ever make it into the Inner Circle podcast or my blogs, but I'm always collecting them. So it means I'm pretty much up on the news. And uh, of course, it doesn't hurt to be part of Forbes. And sometimes I hear some things through Forbes as well. 
I try not to duplicate anything that's been on my blogs. So in other words, when I talk about something here, it's generally new material. It's not exclusively like that, but I would say 95% of the time anyway. So what you're hearing here is usually pretty much brand new. I've been asked to put transcriptions together of the audio of this podcast, and I'd really like to do that, to be honest with you. One of the problems is <laughs> I cannot find a transcription service that seems to work. The reason being, what we do in the audio business is fairly specialized, and there's a lot of jargon. And what will happen is a traditional transcriber won't understand many of the words that are kind of just normal, everyday things to us. And as a result, I have to go in and edit the transcription. And it takes so much time that it's like, well, I might as well just do this myself. So that's why there's no transcriptions. If there's somebody out there that's really good at it and yet is in the audio business and knows all the jargon, hey, talk to me. Maybe we can do something. Okay, now for the technical part. What is the signal path? I get asked this an awful lot. Here is my signal path. I'm speaking to you on a Shure SM7B. That goes into a cloud lifter. The cloud lifter is there to add an extra 10 dB of gain since the SM7 is a very low output. So prior to using a cloud lifter, I thought the podcast was a little noisy and I would have to do a lot of tricks in order to get rid of the noise. And that just took care of it. As soon as I put the cloud lifter in, it was a lot better. Now, from there, I go into a Golden Age Pre-73 preamp. It's a Neve 1073 clone. I don't even remember how I got this, to be honest with you, but it sounds pretty good. It's not a Neve, <laughs> but it's not that far away. So that's what I've been using. From there, it goes into the line input of an Apollo Twin Mark II, a UAD, Apollo Twin Mark II, and this is a four-processor unit. Uh, four DSPs in it. Prior to this, I had an original Apollo Twin. This one sounds better. It's a little quieter, a little bigger sounding, a little cleaner. The converters are better. Not a huge difference, but enough. Why do I use an external preamp, you may be asking, rather than just using the preamp on the Apollo? Well, I have to say it does sound better. In other words, the Golden Age Pre-73 does sound better. The one in the Apollo sounds very good, but there's just a little extra bottom that's missing. And the other thing is the Pre-73 has an impedance switch, and it makes a huge difference on an SM7B. And if you flip between both of the selections on the Pre-73, one is just really big sounding and the other is not. And that's a good enough reason for me to use it right there. I used to go into a Worm Audio 1176 clone. And I really liked the sound of it. It worked really well. It was a tad noisy. And again, we come back to the noise, which I hate. So I decided to use the onboard plugin instead, 1176 plugin. I don't like it nearly as much as the Worm Audio 1176, but I don't have the noise. So the noise is a really big deal for me, and I don't have to worry about cleaning it up. From there, we go into a late 2013, 27-inch iMac. So this is an old iMac, due for an update pretty soon. 
it's using a 3.2 gigahertz i5 processor, no big deal, and 16 gigs of RAM, and that's a big deal. That actually helps a whole lot. I've done 120 track sessions with no problem using this computer, so there's plenty of horsepower. I also have a second monitor. It's an external 24-inch Dell display. So generally speaking, when I'm doing the podcast, what will happen is there's a Pro Tools session that's open that's on my right-hand side on the external monitor, and Skype and my notes are on the iMac monitor. So that brings us to the next part here. Oh, I also have an external universal audio satellite, which is a 4DSP satellite as well. So there's plenty of DSP for universal audio plugins. The speakers that I'm using are a pair of Equator D8s. I'm going to be upgrading pretty soon to Amphions, which are a passive speaker with an outboard amplifier. But I love the sound of them, and I'm going to be updating pretty soon. The rest of my room, it's just a bedroom, except there's quite a lot of acoustic treatment in it. So I have, oh, maybe a dozen tube traps or so. Uh, the reason why I bought the tube traps a long time ago is because they're portable. I can take them anywhere. But everything is also augmented by a number of acoustic panels that are homemade. I think there's, uh, let's see, two, four, six, eight of them. So there's quite a lot of dampening. At the back of the room, I have a bookshelf that has all sorts of stuff on it. So it's really nice for diffusion. There's a good number of books, but there's also quite a lot of audio accessories and that really breaks things up pretty well so it works as a diffuser and also as a nice absorption panel and that's what it's supposed to do for headphones i use 90 percent of the time the audio technica atm 50x's because they're closed back and they sound pretty good but i like the sennheiser hd 650s which if i'm checking a mix that's what i'll use i can't use them normally because they're open back and then it makes the recording sound funny if i'm doing a voiceover or doing a podcast so the atm 50x's get most of the work so how do I get audio into this? So generally speaking, everything comes from Skype. And this also includes phone. If I talk to somebody via phone, I call them via Skype. The reason why it's easy for me to get Skype into the Pro Tools session that I have open, not quite super easy, but easy enough now that I figured it out. And the way this works is I have a little utility called Soundflower in between that basically routes the audio from Skype from any app into any other app. It's an old utility. It's kind of flaky. Sometimes it doesn't boot up. And it took me a while to actually make it work because there's a little quirk to it where I thought if it says output one and two on Soundflower, it would go into input one and two <laughs> on Pro Tools. And it turned out it didn't work that way. It turned out that I had to use outputs five and six. Yeah, who would have thought? So, which brings me to my next thing. I've tried a ton of different little programs, little utilities trying to get audio in and out of various apps, and none of them seem to work well. It makes me crazy. Soundflower is the only one that I could make work at all. The other ones, even the expensive ones that you pay for, just don't seem to work for me. 
And one of the reasons why is the audio doesn't seem to flow the way I'm used to. And I'm going back thinking analog-wise, where there was lots of ways that you can visualize how signal was flowing. And I just can't get my arms around it in the Mac system audio. If there is a Mac system audio expert out there, contact me. I have lots of questions for you. I'd love to see a real diagram of the signal flow for Mac audio. And that would help me kind of put all this stuff together, I think, a lot better. So that's for the studio setup. When I go out and I do a live session, a live interview, which I don't do all that often, now I'm using these very tiny and expensive DPA 4061 microphones. They're extremely tiny. They sound fabulous. Nearly as good as this SM7. That's an exaggeration. It's not quite that good, but boy, it does sound pretty good. Before this, I was using some um, Shure headset microphones. I can't think of of the number, an XM98 or something. And they had a lot of problems. I had two of them. They didn't sound the same, first of all. They were very thin sounding. There was lots of handling noise and noise with the cables. And I forgot I had the DPAs. One day I found them and it was like, wow, why am I not using these? Because they really sound great. And they do. So usually these get plugged into a Zoom H5. Zoom H5 is a nice little recorder and it's worked flawlessly. It's always sounded really good. However, recently I just got something new. It's an Entrance Audio Mixer Face R4, and this has, I think, higher quality preamps in it. It's a lot more versatile. You can do live broadcasts with it because it will plug into your iPhone, so you can broadcast directly, and I may do that at some point coming up. So anyway, that's the recording setup. Now, when it comes to post, The way this works is there's usually seven channels of audio in the DAW session. There's two channels of interview audio, one that's me and one that's a guest. There's an intro that I do. You're listening to the intro right now. There's an outro that I do that gets put in after the interview. And then there's some music. There's intro and outro music and some interlude music. The intro and outro music I composed myself. It was one of those things where it's like, well, let me put something together and I'll just do it really fast. I'm going to change it later. (laughs) And I never did. So here we are almost five years down the line. It's the same music that I use for the intro and outro. As far as the interlude music, I'm really ashamed about this. I have to say in that the music was sent to me by a listener and I didn't take note of who it was and I didn't use it right away. So finally, when I got around to using it, it was like, oh, who actually sent me this music? I can't remember. So I apologize. I've been using your music. You're kind enough to send it to me to use. I've been very happy using it and I used it for a year now, maybe longer. And I haven't given you credit. I'm really, really sorry. Please, if you're out there listening to this, contact me so (laughs) I can make it right because every time I drop this music in, I feel guilty about it. Okay, when it comes to post, there's actually about an hour, maybe an hour and a half of editing. And the reason for that is I'm very careful about what I leave in and take out. So for instance, any kind of coughs and ahs and ums or dead space, they get edited out. And this is either from me or from a guest. And some guests, they will put in a lot of ahs and ums and whatever. Some people just speak like that. So you as a listener don't want to hear that. 
So what I'll do is I'll take a lot of those out. Obviously, I'll leave some in so there's the flavor of the person talking. No one's ever complained about this, by the way. So I, one of these things, if someone had complained and said, it doesn't sound like me, I certainly would have gone back to the original version. No one's ever done that. Because usually it does sound better, and they're happy at the way it sounds. I found this out from writing books, as a matter of fact, and also doing articles. I did about a thousand articles and a thousand interviews for various magazines before I wrote my first book. And what I found out is the first bunch, I copied them verbatim, the way people talked. And what I would get is, I don't really sound that way, or it would be make me sound smarter than that, or you're making me sound like a truck driver. So when I went in and edited the interview to the way I thought they wanted it to sound, everybody was happy, and no one has ever complained. So I try to do the same thing here. I try to make every guest sound as good as possible. And as a result, what ends up happening is there's a fair amount of editing, sometimes more than others. Sometimes I edit myself more than I edit the guests. I think that's usually the case, as a matter of fact, because I may have long pauses that just don't sound good to listen to. So I make sure I get rid of them. So anyway, that's what happens during the post-production. When it comes to mixing, this, again, this is geeky, but it might be interesting to you. I hope it is. There's usually two channels that I'm worried about, and that's the interview channel and the Skype interview or the phone interview of the guest. Now, of course, there's going to be an intro and an outro as well. All four channels are going to get a FabFilter Pro C2 compressor on it. And they're all set pretty much the same way, four to one ratio, fast attack, medium release, and on the clean setting, there's a style setting. There's also a Waves F6 RTA dynamic EQ that I use on every channel for de-essing. And I'm using this as a three-band de-esser, sometimes four bands. I haven't found anything better for doing this, to be honest with you. The three bands usually set at 3.5K, 5K, and 7.2 or 7.3K, and that varies depending on the voice, on the guest. For mine, it's pretty much the same all the time. There's also a MOG EQ4 EQ. And this is a UAD version. And that's for some very high highs and some very low lows. And also every channel will usually have the Pro Tools expander gate on it. The expander gate doesn't turn everything off. What it does is it lowers the noise by, oh, I think 20 dB. And that makes everything sound a whole lot better. So it ends up being noiseless. And again, what I'm trying to do is give you the best possible product here. I hate noise, so I try to get rid of it. Now, on the Skype phone channel, usually it needs a lot more massaging to sound good, especially if it's phone. If it's a cell phone, usually I really have to work hard to make it sound good. So again, there's a Pro C2 compressor, FabFilter. There's also a FabFilter Pro Q2. The Q2 is an EQ. There's a custom curve that I use with a boost at 113 cycles, a dip at 468, and a boost at 1.5K, and a shelving filter that begins to point upwards at 5.6K. There's also the Waves F6, the Mog EQ4, and sometimes Isotope R6, and that's for denoise or de-reverb. De-reverb Usually, and the reason why is it I even engineers that should know better, producers that should know better, if they come on and Skype, they tend to do it in a noisy environment. I never could quite figure that out, 
but sometimes it'll be in a room that's really boingy. So there's a lot of reflections and I got to take them out. So the way I do that is isotope R6 D-reverb. It works pretty well. And from that, we actually get a pretty clean sounding recording. Now on the mix bus, I only use one processor and that's a FabFilter Pro L2 limiter. The reason why I use that is because of the readout that it gives. It'll give a LUFS readout, which is really important. I try to keep the sound of the podcast the same from episode to episode, as well as the volume. So what'll happen is there'll be about 90 dB of gain that I'll add on the FabFilter Pro limiter and a custom meter setting that I'm looking at. And there's also a style setting and that's on transparent. You really can't hear it working. But the big thing here is I'm looking at a LUFS level, an integrated LUFS level of minus 16. And it may be a 10th of a dB above or a 10th of a dB below, but it's usually right around minus 16. That's what I always go for. That's what helps to make the level so consistent from episode to episode, or at least I hope it is. And it's one of the reasons why I use the fab filter. Prior to that, I was actually using a TC Electronic LM1N, and that was to monitor the LUFS levels. And now that I have it built into the limiter, I don't have to do that. I was using a compressor and a limiter prior to that, and I think it was the same stuff I'd use on my music mix bus, which was always a uh, SSL compressor, PSP vintage warmer sometimes, and a precision limiter, UAD precision limiter. But now I don't use any of that stuff. It's only the FabFilter Pro L2. That finishes everything off. I then bounced it at 120 kilobits per second to a mono MP3. I would love to use a higher data rate. Occasionally I will if I can get away with it, but because there's a 64 meg limit to how big the file can be when you upload it, that means it has to be around 120 kilobytes in mono as well. So here I'm listening to stereo, but when you hear it, you're going to listen to a mono recording. Sometimes I may even have to go down to even 96 kilobytes. I don't like to do that, but sometimes I have to if it's a really long podcast, if the podcast goes past an hour. So again, there's a 64 meg limit and I got to worry about that. The file then gets uploaded to bobbioinnercircle.com and then it gets syndicated via RSS through a Blueberry plugin. And Blueberry is specialized just in doing this, in syndicating your podcast feed out to all the other distributors. So basically what happens is I put it on my bobbioinnercircle.com website and it will automatically get fed out to iTunes and Google Play and Google Podcasts, and Stitcher, and all the other podcast distributors. It was just syndicated out to Spotify today, so you should be seeing that pretty soon. That's kind of exciting. Now, all of this is done on a Saturday. So in other words, all my post-production for the podcast, all of the posting, all of the email writing, that's all done on Saturday. Occasionally, if I'm busy on a Saturday or if there's something pressing, it may get pushed off to Sunday, rarely Monday. And there's a reason for this. It always posts at 6 a.m. Pacific on Tuesday morning. So what I like to do is get all this stuff out of the way. It gets edited on Saturday. The recording could happen at any time, by the way. And many times I'll do them in bunches. So I may be five or six ahead. So in other words, this coming week, 
I think I'll be doing three podcast interviews, but you won't hear them probably for a month or so. That's okay. A lot of times I like to have a few in the can just in case I'm going out of town or something. It makes it easy for me to get it together so it will post on a particular day even if I'm not around. But Saturday is usually my edit day, my post day. We'll put it all together in that day. Do all of the email notices that go out to people that want to be notified when a podcast posts. All the blog posts will go out and everything will be scheduled for its appropriate day. All the social media will be done. So all this happens, generally speaking, on a Saturday afternoon. The recording of the intro and the outro of the podcast, also done on a Saturday afternoon. So all this stuff happens within a period of, um, oh, probably two, three hours, and then it's done. So that means it takes me two or three hours, and with the interview, it might be more. So we're looking probably at three hours minimum, two hours two and a half if it's really fast, maybe four hours if it's a long interview. And that becomes the Inner Circle podcast. That becomes what you're listening to. How do I pick the guests? Well, it's a combination of things. For one, it's people that I know. The second thing is people I might run into. And there might be a conference, for instance, or someone might introduce me. If that's the case, and I, if I think they're a good candidate, if I think you'll like hearing about their story and what they do, then I ask them to be on the podcast. And again, it's one of those things where as long as they're in a music business or anything pertaining to the music business, I usually feel that, okay, if I'm interested in what they're doing, then you will be as well. And so far, that's pretty much been the case. That's also why we have a pretty eclectic mix of guests on the show. At one point in time, I tried to do only engineers and producers and then it was like, well, I know you want to hear about other things and you want to hear about what other people are doing because let's face it, there's a lot of very interesting things that happen in this business and I like to get the word out. So many times what will happen is I will do interviews maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in the afternoon and they may not come out on podcast for three weeks or four weeks or five weeks sometimes. On the other hand, there is the occasional podcast that will be done where you know, it'll happen on a Friday and it'll come out the next Tuesday. That does happen every now and then. It's rare, but it does happen. On podcasts like this, they're rare, but I will do them where there is no guest. And it's just me talking about something. This usually happens when there are trade shows, an AES show or a NAM show, and I'll do a special to talk about what I saw. And sometimes it'll just be a special. Like for instance, I'll do one at the end of the year. And it will be a look back at the end of the year and also predictions for the coming year. And that's a popular one. So that happens as well. So the majority of them, I would say out of the year, there's probably 48, 49 that have guests. And the other two or three are just me speaking to you. And it's just you and me as it is today. But anyway, that is the behind the scenes in the making of the Inner Circle podcast. I hope I haven't bored you. Again, there's a lot of detail here, so I just hope enough of you are interested in this that you didn't turn this off about 15 minutes ago. Anyway, if you have any questions or comments, send them to questions at bobbyownercircle.com. Don't forget about my online courses on mixing, production, branding, and music business success at bobbyosinskicourses.com. Also, get an expert analysis and objective opinion of your songs and mixes as a member of my Hitmakers Club. Go to hitmakersclub.com to learn more. 
To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com, select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyownercircle.com, or you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Play, and Google Podcasts. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyownercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. Now you know a lot about what goes on behind the scenes. I will see you next time.